When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. There is nothing I love more than an amazing meal with high-quality meat cooked at home because... Let's be honest, eating out is so expensive. And you also know that eating out is the number one budget buster. That is why I am so glad I found ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service dedicated to delivering high-quality, grass-fed and grass-finished beef, organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood directly to your doorstep with free shipping always. You even get exclusive member deals, recipes, and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price. New users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code ETM and get $20 off your first box at ButcherBox.com. Last night, we made a beef stew with meat from ButcherBox, and you can taste the difference. It was so satisfying and delicious. And all of our friends that were over for a dinner party, they raved at how good it was. So do yourself a favor and eat better this year with the best meat and seafood on the planet delivered to your door. ButcherBox is offering my listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm and use code ETM to choose your free offer and get $20 off. The average cost for a wedding in the United States in 2018 is $33,391. And don't get me wrong, I've had some friends and people I know who spent way more than $33,000 on their wedding. Like, such crazy amounts of money that, I mean, there's nothing you can do but just shake your head. And of course, the money expert in me is thinking of all of the amazing things that you could actually do or buy with that money. I mean, it is just like a five to seven hour party, right? Don't most people know that? I mean, don't get me wrong. A wedding is amazing. It is hopefully one of the very best days of your lives when you do get married, but it's still, it's pretty much a party. I'm Shauna Compton-Game, this is Millennial Money, and today we're talking saying I do, wedding do's and don'ts with Bridechilla podcast host, Alicia McCormick. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton-Game. It will expand your brain.
So we're starting off with a great Ask Shauna question. This one comes from Megan. Megan says, Hi, Shauna. My husband and I are planning to buy a house and a second car, planning to finance the car with a 0% interest loan. Is there a recommended order for these purchases? Our thought is to finance the car first before the mortgage. We have paid off student loans and have no outstanding debt. We pay our credit cards in full each month. Thanks so much. Great question, Megan, and congrats on being debt-free. I know that that must feel amazing. So congrats on that and for buying your first house. It sounds like you're definitely on the up and up with your finances. So hopefully I can give you a little guidance here. Although I would tell you and any of you listening who are in the same position, really starting off working with a mortgage broker before you start shopping for your first home or your second or your third home is a really good idea because the mortgage broker is able to give you the most educated response to questions like this because they're looking at your entire financial picture in order to come up with that number or that range of how much house you can actually afford. So that's their job and they're going to be able to better guide you. And one of the reasons I say this is because part of your mortgage application is something called your debt to income ratio. And although your debt to income is very healthy based off of what you're telling me, you you got no debt, you got no student loans, no credit card debt, etc, etc. You should theoretically based off that information be in such a good position to buy a house. Just so you know, the DTI as it's called or debt to income ratio, it's a ratio of what you earn to what you owe, and you want to keep it to 36% or less of your gross monthly income. Anything below 20% is considered completely excellent, and you probably have the most amazing DTI because you don't have any debt. But the DTI ratio includes all sorts of payments, such as your car payment, student loans, credit cards, all sorts of things. So For that reason, I'd really suggest waiting to buy the car for now until you talk with the mortgage broker. In my experience, and when I bought my first house, it was really the mortgage broker who said to me, you know, don't buy anything. Don't buy a new refrigerator. Don't take out, you know, 12-month, 0% loan on anything. Even if you think like, okay, this is like a $300 purchase. It's not that big of a deal. But What happens is when they're factoring all these numbers and they're factoring your range and then specifically if you're already in contract under a property and you start going out and and buying cars or, you know, even the less expensive things on, on credit or opening new credit accounts, it can mess up that mortgage application with the particular lender. And some lenders are better for, you know, certain DTIs than other lenders, so you know, your mortgage broker is supposed to be the most educated, helping guide you uh, in that process. And so, you know, even if you're you're buying your car on 0% interest, that's fabulous and amazing and wonderful for you, but you're still borrowing however much money um, it is for that particular car. So that will actually be counted into your debt to income ratio. Now, it may not matter. I mean, you may be in such a great position that even if you bought the car ahead of time before buying your your property, you still wouldn't even hit 20%. You may just, Megan, be in, you know, one of those great positions. So, you know, in that case, it might not matter as much, but I definitely think, you know, going to have a conversation with a mortgage broker first before you make any decision 
is such a great idea because again, they're going to be able to give you the best guidance so that you make sure that you line up those purchases in a way that it's not going to infringe on the range of, of price of house that you can actually purchase. A lot of people say, well, how do I find a good mortgage broker? You know, I think that we, you know, from all the HGTV shows and um, even just, I think, what we think when we're buying a house is like, okay, we just go out and we find a realtor and, you know, we start looking at houses. And then once we find a house that we want to buy, we put an offer in that house and then we figure out the money piece. Well, I like to tell people gently to do it in reverse. And the reason why I tell you to do it in reverse is when you go find a mortgage broker first and you can get that range of house that you can afford, A, you're not going to go out and start shopping and looking for a house that's more expensive than what you can afford, which just helps with the gentle heartbreak. So you don't walk in like see your dream house and then you look at the price tag and it's like, oh crap, (laughs) we actually can't afford this house. So that's one of the main reasons why you do that. And also they give you something, the mortgage broker will give you something called a pre-approval letter. And basically what that means is they've already looked at all your finances and they looked at your debt to income ratio, all of the behind the scenes numbers, and they're giving this letter stating that, you know, this is the range of house, price of house that you can actually afford And that letter becomes really powerful when then you go and find a realtor and you start putting in offers on your house because the realtor can include that letter with your offer. And so the person selling the house can look at that letter and go, oh, okay, this person or this couple, they are pre-qualified so they can actually afford to buy the house. We don't have to worry that the deal is going to fall through or anything like that. So it becomes a real powerful piece of information of uh, data for you to be able to have when you're making those offers on the house. And then I think you just, you can rest easier because you know, hey, they've already done all the behind the scenes numbers and we could actually afford this house. We know what the payment probably will be and we feel comfortable with that in our, our monthly budget. Um, and if you, you know, if you just can't figure it out, how do I find a mortgage broker? You know, go on Facebook, go on social media, ask your friends, ask some local realtors. They'll usually have a ton of suggestions. I usually say talk to two people, three people if you want, but talk to a couple of people so you could get a feel for, you know, how they work and if your personalities are going to align. But I think that that might be the best piece of advice for you, Megan, is before you do anything, just get a little uh, information behind the scenes. I'm inferring based off the information you gave me that you're going to be in a really good position regardless, even if you did buy the car. But I just want to make sure that you are in the best position possible before you do actually go out and buy the car. So it's May-ish, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, and we're kind of rolling into peak wedding season, at least here in the U.S., Uh, Some argue that it's kind of always peak wedding season. I got married in November, so definitely wasn't one of those June brides, but I I think it's always a good time to talk about weddings and where you should spend your money, where you maybe should think of not spending your money. And I was recently featured on an episode of the Bride Chola podcast with host Alicia, 
And we talked all about my wedding day suggestions that I had for her, answered some of her wedding money questions. So I thought it would be great to have Alicia come on our podcast and talk about her wedding do's and don'ts so that you can, again, make sure that you're using your cash in the best way possible. And as she says, she is hilarious. She is not a wedding planner, ironically. She's actually a comedian and a TV presenter, but she learned a lot of lessons through her own wedding and through seeing her friends get married. And she thought, you know, there aren't really any podcasts out there about weddings. Why not start a wedding podcast? And she infuses in each episode, like all of her humor. They're just funny. I mean, even if you aren't planning a wedding, I think you're going to find so much value from this episode. One of the funniest things that she talked about was not overspending on things like chair covers. She calls them chair condoms. And she's just got some hilarious advice for you. And so even if you're a dude listening to this episode, I know that you are going to at least get a few laughs out of this. So before we head into the interview with Alicia, a quick word from our sponsor. I want to give a big thanks to our podcast episode sponsor, Brooklinen. You may have heard me talk about Brooklinen before, but I cannot stop. You know, if you think about it, we spend a third of our lives in our bed on our sheets. So sleeping on comfy sheets, it makes such a difference. And I have been sleeping on Brooklyn sheets now for about a few weeks, and they're awesome. Seriously, breathable, so soft to the touch. It's really like having this luxury experience, but without the big markup price. And Brooklyn, and they were founded in 2014 by a millennial couple, and they wanted to create the most beautiful and comfy home essentials without all those crazy prices. Thank God. And Brooklinen is the fastest growing bedding brand in the world with over 20,000 five-star reviews of happy sleepers just like me. They have so many colors and patterns to choose from so you can mix and match. And that's just what we did. We got gray sheets, this really cool gray color, and a striped duvet cover just to spruce up our bedroom a little bit. You have to do yourself a favor, seriously try these sheets because my Brooklinen sheets, they're the best, most comfortable sheets I have ever slept on. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for you. You can get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code MYMONEY at brooklinen.com. And Brooklinen is so confident that they're going to offer you a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code MYMONEY at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code MYMONEY. Financial anxiety, anyone? Yeah, you're not alone. But worrying about it, it doesn't help. Earnin does. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 per day as you work and leave an additional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So how would you spend the money you get from Earnin? Well, honestly, my hubby and I have been feeling a little bit disconnected lately. That's what happens after you've been together about 12 years. So I would spend the money on a special date night with dinner and maybe bowling, you know, to bring back some of that giggly excitement that we both felt at the beginning. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security, gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, 
in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin, T-A-L-K-A-N, money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin money under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Listen, if you've been using Mint to manage your money, I have got some news for you. First, the bad news. As you might know, Mint is shutting down for good. But the good news, well, there is a way better alternative that is a personal favorite of mine, Monarch Money. And I'm not the only lover of Monarch Money. Many Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and just raving about it. I used to manage my money with an Excel spreadsheet. I know, so archaic. And it was so time consuming. I tried all of the apps but I just didn't find one I liked until I found Monarch. And I've got to tell you a secret. Monarch is so easy to use with a very intuitive design. You can even collaborate with your partner and you can customize Monarch for whatever your needs are. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Let's go back to the collaboration bit. Because we know money is a leading cause of divorce and breakups, Monarch has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. You can see all your finances, make a budget together, get insights on your cash. Yes, cue the confetti. There will literally not be any more arguments over money. And if you've been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, or rarely updated, so was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful ad-free, and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Monarch has a tool that allows you as well to easily import your data from Mint. You can keep all of your tags and all of your categories. After trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe. So Alicia, I was just recently on an episode of your podcast, Brychilla, and I figured, you know, there's no better time to talk about weddings and money than now. And before yes. we dive into all the juicy details, I I just I have to figure this out. So you're not a wedding planner, but you host a podcast all about weddings. How did this happen? <laughs> 
it was sort of a comedy of errors, which is how my mostly my career has occurred. Um, I you my and me both. And I, yeah. You got to go with it. You just got to go with it. My husband Rich and I moved from Australia to London, and prior to us moving, I my career was primarily in television. I was an on-air TV presenter and I was a stand-up comedian. I still am both of those things, but it's not like I've died and it's not happening anymore. But um <laughs> I'm we, still funny, I promise. Yay, it never <laughs> goes away. Maybe it does. Um so we moved here and and then I really just couldn't face going back to comedy clubs and starting from scratch, which is not, I mean, true stand-up comedians would be going, well, that is a failure. You should be going out and doing five-minute gigs in the middle of the night in a city you don't know. But I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time and thinking we we were one year into our, our marriage and I was really sort of in the zone when we were planning, you know, I can feel the foundation, you know, you look back and feel the foundations of what I created, I suppose, with Bride Chiller. But I thought it's weird that no one was really talking about weddings because to me, if I had heard a wedding podcast when we were getting married, it would have been soothing and supportive. So I just set up a mic on a ironing board in the bedroom and thought, I'll just give it a crack. I'll do five or six episodes and see if anyone listens. And that's now 320 episodes later. I just, it just went. So I, ne- you know, I'm not a planner, as you said. I don't really have any actual, I'm like the periphery, peripheral person of wedding planning. I'm the lay person. I'm the friend that tries to investigate and explore. And um, it's just sort of taken over my life. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing, right? I mean, it's like this whole other passion that has sort of emerged. uh, And what I love about your podcast is you bring that humor. And I think, you know, especially with weddings, planning weddings, we can get so like stressed out, especially the women listening to this episode. And, you know, so having like some humor in there, I mean, because my God, it's just, it's just a party. I realize that, you know, it's the union of two people, but the marriage is everything that comes after the wedding. Absolutely. And I think that's the big thing that um, is the driving force. And I suppose the ethos of Bride Chiller that's developed over the last three years is really the, you know, the message of it's just a party. It's a beautiful party. It can be an expensive party, but also we get so focused and almost obsessive and crazy about details that aren't really that important. And to me, that's where what I've, you know, the community that have been built from what I've been talking about is so empowering just to see people really take it and run with it and sort of say, you know, we don't need all this extra stuff and we should be focusing on our relationships and making sure that we're building a strong, you know, marriage over what sort of things we put on the table. I mean, you know, yes, yes. And are there any like favorite episodes that stick out for you? Mm, am I allowed to swear these on your podcast? <laughs> Yes, I, I'm thinking that you're going to probably say the favorite episode that I have. So go yeah. for it. Okay, so it's the fuck it bucket, which has become yes. this like underground go-to episode, which I'm delighted uh, that people enjoy it. And it's just basically me talking about all of the pressure and DIY projects that you just want to you have the, the great hope that you'll finish but then the glue gun's still sitting there three months later and expectations and all these traditions that you don't want to necessarily follow you put them all in the fuck it bucket and you light the match and watch them burn and um, it seemed to really work for people and now my community all refer to the FIV and they've you know 
they don't even write fuck it bucket anymore. They took a bit. What are we going to throw on the FIB today? And it's great. It's really great that it it worked for people. And I think, you know, my personal opinion, I think you could have a fuck it bucket for everything in life. You know, if we're going to talk about money, oh, we could yeah. have one for, you know, all of the things that, um, you know, we've thought we've done wrong or maybe, you know, we've spent money on something that we knew we shouldn't have or, you know, all that crap that builds up over your life, you know, put it in there. Yep. Oh, I think the fuck it bucket is a transitional bucket for all stages of your life. And it's, I think, one of those things that once you figure out, you know, and it's all metaphorical, obviously, but when you sort of go, oh, I could do this, I can get rid of this, and it's not going to make any difference, and oh, yeah, okay, we don't need to do that, or, you know, and, and we don't need to follow the pack on everything or feel bad if we're not. That's what's great, and I, I agree with you, certainly when it comes to money and uh, how we deal with money. There are lots of inhibitions and things we can just chuck in the fucker bucket straight away and just people feel much better about ourselves. Certainly. I'm a big fan of that. But uh, so let's roll up our sleeves a little bit. You know, there's this expectation, I think, maybe you talk about this on the podcast, you could provide some insight of future brides and hey, even grooms that are listening that, you know, they say they want to have this like, dream wedding that's perfect you know mm. and we know that the reality is that stuff's going to go wrong and you know um maybe some things are like you said you know they're not going to work out but you know what do you what do you hear from from guests on your podcast and and different advice that you give to about you know how do you find that equilibrium be, between you know having this dream and perfect wedding and then the reality of actually having the wedding yeah, it's it's a really interesting concept. I think for a start is I think this idea of perfection is so broken and I get really sad when I see it all over. I mean, we're being being told to be perfect 24/7, you know. We're on Instagram and this is I'm talking about women especially of how we should look and how we should behave and how long our hair should be and we should be thin and all this stuff. We're just bombarded with this shit all the time, which is just so infuriating and so then you get to your wedding and then you were given this message of perfection and the best day of your life and this is going to be the greatest moment and I often say you know I find that offensive in the sense that my wedding day was great but I really hope that I have 50 more best days of my life to come and please sort of, yes right you know at least 50 like, yeah and why should that be the pinnacle of our existence that it's it's a party and it's saying yeah I met this rad person and I love them but it's not like the be all and end all of our existence so that for me is something that I gr ran with I grabbed it and ran with really early on in the podcast and now in my book and I really try and just really empower people to ditch the concept and also with guests I think a lot of them now are, are into my language and stuff and rarely do people come on the show and ever talk about the perfect and best day and all this sort of stuff anymore but I do think that we place expectations upon ourselves and this is not just with weddings this is with careers this is with money and achievement that can be really hard to sustain and maintain and sometimes we've just got to cut ourselves a bit of slack and go you know what it Every day we get up and we hustle and we do our best and we're healthy and alive and we go to sleep and we try and do it all again the next day. So I think with wedding planning and looking at Instagram and Pinterest and being surrounded by all this media of, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think, Shana, the whole thing is there's a lot of pressure from the moment you get engaged and it can be really challenging to overcome that for some people. 
Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, I mean, there's no doubt that weddings are expensive. You're in London, I'm in LA, but th- I think this is pretty much a uni- universal thing. You know, there's there's a lot of money and, uh, you know, sometimes we have unrealistic expectations about, you know, how much our wedding is going to cost or where that money is going to come from. What are some of your, you know, favorite wedding do's and don'ts, you know, especially when it comes to money and how much cash you're going to spend on this? Yeah, I mean, I think from the start, and this is some a step that so many people miss, and it feels so obvious to say it, but it's the, you get engaged and instantly, and I'm sure you experience this, people, like complete crazy people will go, when are you getting married? Where's the venue? What are you wearing? Who's going to be invited? How many people are coming? Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't know. We literally got engaged 28 seconds ago, and you're asking me all these questions. I have no answers for you. But because people jump on, and I think there's this pressure to go and book something and make something so you've got something to say to these idiots that keep asking you all these questions people jump into things and from a financial point of view i think this is a real no-no because they start putting deposits down and committing to things before they've even had a conversation like a real like hardcore get a glass of vodka sit down with your partner and say what are our expectations of the day how much do we think is reasonable to spend on this this event and what's our timeline and it's funny that some people just jump in and start to do it and then start to make budgets up you know three months down the track when they've put all the money down and they're like oh my god how do we pay for this because you're right it's crazy expensive and also you're shelling out a lot of money at once you know vendors want deposits they want to you know ensure that you're going to pay and that's a pretty big commitment so I always advise people that without that conversation and can be a really frank conversation and also it really helps cement your teamwork sort of uh, mentality of wedding planning and it not just being and and i and i definitely say bride chillers for you know same-sex couples straight couples everyone but to say that it's the woman's day and it's the our day that you know we should have all the say i find it offensive so what about some ways that people could maybe cut corners, if you will, on their wedding day. I mean, we know that, you know, things like food and venue, alcohol are, you know, kind of the biggest expenses, but have you come up with any tips or anything that you've learned yourself about, you know, different things where maybe you're like, ah, you know what, you don't have to do it this way. You could save money here and, um, you know, put it towards something else. Yeah, I think the big things are working out your priorities and what's important to you. And and that might be, you know, you want kick-ass photography, but you don't really care about, um, you know, high-end booze. And that seems, you know, quite straightforward in the sense, but I'm sure you experience getting quotes from various vendors. You're like, what the hell? Oh, my gosh. When you start getting the first quotes back and you're like, if I what? How much? And so I think it's really prioritizing what parts of the day are premium parts that you want to invest in and then also then stepping back and going actually do we need to put favors on the table this is one of my favorite ones to get rid of and you look at people giving um i don't know all this crap that people put on tables but honestly i've only like i eat in the in the cab drunk on the way home like i don't really it's like i don't care about this stuff but we look at you know it's a, a tizian jam that someone's made and you're like that's lovely but that cost you six bucks each and there are 100 people here do the math that's an easy way to ditch you know something that 
really no one will miss and no one's going to come away from your wedding going, I can't believe they didn't give us jam. It's ridiculous. Or, you know, I have this real grudge with chair covers and the fact that chair covers are, you know, basically chair condoms that are just something to just disgusting. But but it's to go, again, no one's going to remember if your chairs had covers on them or not, or probably going, they, they were vile. But it, there are things that I always sort of say to my listeners, what are the things you remember from weddings that, that you loved? And then think about all the other things that people put money into that didn't resonate with you at all or didn't impact your day. And to me, that's the easiest way to start hacking at the stuff that people just throw money at actually really doesn't account to making anything more fun or enjoyable. Yeah. I, you know, when I got married, uh, we had a backyard wedding. Um, actually the, right. the place we lived was right on the water and it was like a really small, you know, condo community and all of our neighbors chipped in. They did the drinks, they did the appetizers. Uh, one was the oh, DJ. And so it was just, it was such a great event. And then, you know, we were in such a beautiful setting already that we didn't have to add much as far as decoration. Yeah. And, you know, we hired an actual like pizza truck to come and um, make like wood fire pizzas. And so we just, oh, I, I mean, love it. we're sort of in the vein of like doing things differently. But, you know, I think that when you really just sit down and, and think about like, what do you really want your wedding to look like? Like not all this fairy tale mm-hmm. stuff, not all this, you know, crazy, expensive, no one's going to remember the stuff, but really like, what is your vision? And, you know, is that mm-hmm. financially feasible? Like, can we actually do that? Because like you said, I mean, most people yeah. just want to come to a wedding and Sure, they want to see you get married, but they just want to come and like have some good drinks, have some good food, and have some fun. And that's really, I think, you know, the extent of what most guests' expectations are. But, you know, especially in the US here, we've created this culture of, you know, if you're not spending thirty to forty to fifty thousand dollars on your wedding, then you're not having a good wedding. And you know, when you you look at what crazy. the stress that couples go through of trying to finance this, you know, if they're not getting money from other parents or you know whatever, and uh, you know they're going into massive debt like right off the bat, you know, and it's just it's so stressful. So I mean, for me, it was like, okay, what are the things that are important to me, and then how can I echo that in a realistic way? Um, I mean, our wedding only cost uh, twenty seven hundred U.S. dollars, so you know, it was wasn't amazing. It was money, but it wasn't you know um, a down payment on a house. Crazy money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and look, you you make some you make some very good points about you know again prioritizing your spending and also not getting sucked into the vortex of this. I quite frankly think bullshit average that they shop around every year. And if you look into, you know, and I'm talking about when they say they is in wedding media and probably, you know, uh, well, I'll go into it. They say if your every average wedding is $50,000. And then you look at where these surveys come from. Um, and this is my wedding Illuminati angle, but I'm, I truly believe it that they are financed by wedding magazines who have really high end suppliers and you know advertisers that make money out of saying buy a ten thousand dollar dress and you need to have these special cars to deliver you even though no one will see you get out of that special car and it, which is another there's an okay let's come back to transport but the whole idea that we have normalized 
as a society these averages that, in fact, I think uh, if we went and talked to five of our friends each, I'm pretty sure none of my friends would have spent anywhere in that sort of vicinity. And these are sort of middle class working people. You know, these aren't, you know, they're not doing super budget stuff, but they're not super rich. That is normal, normal. That's a weird thing to say. But, you know, educated average people that would think that spending $50,000 on a wedding is fucking crazy. So I think we've been conditioned to go, oh, that's so normal. And then, as you said, people make crazy crazy sort of leaps into debt and and one thing I just hammer home all the time is to say you I would far rather wake up with a hangover the day after my wedding than debt regret you know imagine paying off a wedding for the next five years instead of as you said putting a down payment on a house or paying off your college tuition or making good investment choices so it's it's a seven hour party I'd just can't fathom how people go into debt for it. Yeah, and you're so right about those numbers. You know, they're um, put together by all of these wedding magazines and companies that are obviously f- going to financially benefit for you. You know, spending that that kind of money. And even you know, when you hire a wedding planner, like the wedding planner is not going to be like, you know what? I'm not sure you should spend that much money on your chair condoms, as you call it. You know, I mean, that's not. <laughs> wedding planner's job and so you know you really have to have some like personal ownership over this I think yeah and I look and I mean I will I will come into bat a little bit for some of the wedding professionals that I think from the beginning of any relationship you have with a wedding vendor or a planner or a coordinator you have to be honest with them about realistic budgets because so many people get caught up in it and go yeah I want all that stuff and then you know the planner's job is to do what you ask. And without you saying, actually, that is $20,000 over budget, you know, they're not Nostradamus mind reader people, but they're also there to help you. And I think if you are giving them realistic budgets and expectations, they will make that happen for you. But I think a lot of the time people get worked up and start, you know, pinning their brains out and deciding they need all this extra stuff and living beyond their means, which I know we do as a society anyway, so much. But for me, it's just this idea you've got to step back and go, we have limits. We're going to stick to it. And it's a budget. We all know how to stick to a budget. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> that was great. We're like mind readers. It's <laughs> a whole other topic. <laughs> right? Exactly. And so, you know, what about some tips for people who are just, you know, they're either in the planning mode or they're, you know, soon to be married and they're feeling those like bubbles, those waves of stress? How can you figure out how to have fun with this? Yeah, well, I think don't don't let wedding planning become the only thing that's happening in your life. I think it's really easy to get completely, you know, worked up and obsessive over it. And that's not me dissing. It's just saying if you're working a full-time job and then you're coming home and you're trying to tick things off your list, it just becomes a part of your life. And then, you know, it's – I always sort of liken it to when I used to do a bit of acting and you'd work on a play or a stand-up comedy routine where I, I do festivals and then it was your whole existence. And then you wake up the day after the show closed and you're like, oh, my God, what the hell do I do with my life now? So – if you can, if you can, um, sort of really step outside of yourself a little bit and go, you know what, we're not gonna, we're gonna go for dinner and not talk about the wedding, or I'm gonna go and talk to friends and not talk about the wedding because I don't want to hear it all the time. You know, it's, it's a, I think it's a healthy thing, 
and then also just to be able to realize that um i in my book i talk it was a chapter called it's okay to feel like shit and i think just to acknowledge that whether you're planning a wedding or you're planning to buy a house or you're going through the process of doing something you don't have to be happy all the time because we're human and we have ups and downs and the seasons of life occur no matter whether you're planning a wedding or you are you know doing something else so i think just to acknowledge that people have mental health issues people have things happen in their family people lose jobs stuff happens and they're not going to it's not going to not happen because you're planning a wedding so i think to acknowledge it and and just accept that shit will go down and you're going to be cool with it and life will go on is really a good move yeah i like that that's great advice so is there anything that you've learned now being a year married uh that maybe has surprised you so we're we're about to hit our eight year relationship mark six year wedding anniversary in a couple of weeks and, and i think the one thing especially when it comes to money that you know rich and i had very different money stories growing up we had very different outlooks on how to use our money and save it or not and um, I certainly came into our relationship with some STDs, sexually transmitted deaths, Shana. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and look, I had a bit of credit card debt from a past relationship that I hadn't paid off. And Rich had never had a credit card and was very responsible with his saving and spending. And I think it was confronting for me because I felt sort of shame coming into the relationship with debt. But also I think it was challenging from him because, you know, being previously, and he's not here to defend himself, but I'll say potentially a bit judgy about people having debt with credit cards and stuff that it was irresponsible. And I think it's taken us, you know, it, we paid the debt off. He jumped in and we worked it for it together and, and got rid of it, which was a blessing. And I felt so much relief not having those windowed envelopes appear in our you know, mail every week, not week. I wasn't that in debt, but you know, when they would arrive and, <laughs> but also, you know, trying to work together to establish a joint money story and figure out what, what saving means to us. And I'm still the person that will take a holiday in two seconds over putting money in a bank. I'm a complete uh, travel freak and I will always say oh we can do it we can go next weekend and then Rich is like oh my god for the love of god we're trying to save but an opportunity comes up and I'm like let's go so I think we're still at the stage of even eight years in of going is she ever going to change is he ever going to change I don't know but that's being in a marriage and a team I suppose it's trying to evolve and work together to be on the same page occasionally <laughs> Yeah, occasionally. I love yeah. that. That's such a good point that you just made. Uh, it is like a constantly a work in progress. You know, yeah. just when you think you have something figured out, then you're like, wait a minute, I actually don't <laughs> have that figured out. <laughs> and and I think also, look, I'm a freelancer. I, I work in TV and I run the business. And for me, and this is sort of how I got into the credit card debt with the last relationship, you know, work would come and go. And I wasn't buying shoes and dresses on the credit card. I was, you know, supporting myself while I was in and out of work with TV production. Now, as an adult now, later, 10 years down the track, I, you know, certainly put a bigger part of my wage aside for times that work isn't coming up. But I think that there's a difference between 
the nine to fivers that just have always worked that sort of job. And then you meet creative freelance people who are, who you know you sort of gel with and go oh yeah you think about money the same way I do I don't really panic when I get sort of low whereas Rich would be like oh my god what this is this is bad (laughs) the alarm bells are coming I'm like we'll be fine everything's gonna be fine so that's marriage it's all okay everything's (laughs) fine oh my god is she doing to us I love it. Uh, all right. So, uh, so last question. What's just, if you had just one piece of advice to future bride chillas, what would you tell them? I would tell them to really think about what a wedding and marriage means to you and really keep that in mind when you are in the height of insanity and worried about the color of napkins and that no one's going to show up because no one's RSVP'd and always to have that little safe space in your brain to come back and go, you know, a year ago, I'd never even considered that I would be stressed about a napkin and that it's quite silly, but also relevant for the time in my life. But when you're a year down the track and this is all done, you'll think back and go, why the fuck did I worry about a napkin? It doesn't matter. So tell listeners where they can find your podcast, where they can find your book and all of the other goodies. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, look, if you just find Search for Bride Chiller wherever you find your podcasts, um, there's a big back catalogue. There's over 300 episodes, Shana. I feel like people would get sick of binging on me, but, you know, welcome. Um, and also if uh, you are interested, if you're planning a wedding or if you've got a friend getting married and would like give them a great bullshit-free wedding planner. I've got the Bride Chiller Survival Guide and the Bride Chiller Field Guide, and they're a duo of books that I've published recently, which really just tell it like it is. And they are gender neutral, so everyone is welcome to buy them without feeling like we're always being told about brides and grooms. And you can buy them at bridechillerstore.com. So if you're planning a wedding or you're in the middle of complete wedding stress and chaos, you're going to want to head over to the Bride Chiller podcast because – As you've just found out, Alicia not only is going to dish a lot of really good information, she's going to dish it out to you in a completely hilarious way. I mean, I'm listening to her podcast and I'm, of course, not planning a wedding, but I just think it's so much fun listening to everybody's thoughts and opinions and ideas on the topic around getting married. Kind of makes me want to have another wedding to Jeff. Ah, maybe I'll just use the money for something else. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. And if you love this podcast, I'd totally appreciate it if you shared it with your friends, shouted it out on social media. We have a link in the show notes. You can head over there to leave us a review on iTunes or on any podcast player where you're listening to this episode. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit